Marco Royce. Daniel Marlon! Wonderful! Fantastic from Royce. Jude Bellingham. That's excellent. Jude Bellingham. This is absolutely brilliant. Jude Bellingham! Absolutely magnificent. Rina. Brilliant from the American. Just like that. Graceful. Sally Hoots down for Anthony Modest. Royce. Not a bad idea. Welcome to the BBB Podcast. My name's Jake. Um, we took a little week off because if you missed it, Carver uh, joined the Yellow Wall Pod last week. And now we're, we're just going back to back with the collabs. Why not? So, uh, well, Carver is with me as always, but we're also joined by Stefan. How are you doing, man? How's it going? I'm doing very well. It's been a fantastic weekend. So I'm in very good spirits, minus the Sixers who suck and lose to the Knicks. But otherwise, I'm pretty good. Great. Carver, how's it going Stephane, for you? I, it's going well. I told a few of my friends that you were Sixers fan, Stefan, and they all like collectively went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have not jumped on the Eagles bandwagon. Of course, people who don't know, I'm residing in Philadelphia right now, originally from Dortmund, but uh, I've... Uh, my my wife's a big Sixers fan, so I've been sort of educated to become one myself, and now uh, my uh, happiness and misery sort of depend on that basketball team as well, which is a burden I did not foresee having, but here I am. <laughs> well, luckily, uh, for the time being, I'll probably jinx everything, but for the time being, a lot less misery with Dortmund, which is yeah. <laughs> why we're here. And I do want to say, if you did not listen to the Yellow Wall Pod last week with Carver, uh, as a guest on it. I know it, it's probably not as timely anymore given we've played a couple more games, but it's a great episode. You guys did a like breaking down transfers and we're like Dortmund, they're, they're the state of Dortmund lately, which is really enjoyable. It was also nice. Stefan, I think you miss, mentioned this last time, like when you were on our podcast last time, like, like well, now I, I can't listen. And it's like, it was great having a Dortmund podcast, another Dortmund podcast to listen to and uh, take a little week off, even though, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was gone because the cover messed up the times a little bit last week, but all good now. And we're even like the time zones are even crazier because we're officially coast to coast. Uh, Carver's holding it down in St. Louis. I'm out on the West Coast in Palm Springs, California. And like you said, Stefan, you're in Philadelphia. So we're officially coast to coast. This is nice. Nice. I was thinking the same thing. But, I intentionally uh, said central time to you, Jake, because I knew you were across the <laughs> Jake's country Jake's already well. flying over cover right away. <laughs> <laughs> also, if I am in a hotel, so if I disappear, it's just going to be like a repeat of last week, which, I mean, <laughs> you guys held it down way better. Like, you guys probably should just do it without me anyways. It was a way better episode without me just rambling over here. So well, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm doing it out. usually without both of you. <laughs> I really, in fact, did a yellow wallpaper today. So, uh, did it with Matthias. And I must say, uh, I'm actually quite happy that I get to talk about this particular game twice because it was such a great game. So, Jake, if you want to do us the honor, introduce <laughs> us to Freiburg being beaten 5-1 to one by Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, Dortmund goal fest over the weekend. Like, what? Like, I mean, we, okay, is this four in a row now? Four wins in a row? Um, and then, I don't know how you guys were going, feeling, like, going into this game, I was skeptical because i like we just had too too many good games in a row i wasn't ready for and then another one on top like the best best one yet uh so overall thoughts 
going into this game throughout the game carver start with you well this is a another certified hood classic this game i mean like you said already lots of goals historic moments with hilaire scoring his first goal in front of the sid tribuna um i mean you name it royce coming back a fourth win climbing the table right back in the title race uh, Stefan and I both were pretty optimistic. I think we both said 3-1, if I'm not wrong. I was hoping for maybe a, another look similar to our last home game against Freiburg last year under Rosa, and it was literally exactly what we got, a 5-1. So I called it. And then, uh, I mean, other historic moment. Uh, historic, making, I guess, the history thing, but Adeyemi, officially the fastest player in the Bundesliga, which is... Uh, oh, that too. And he yeah. got another goal. So if, if <laughs> I did not think like, you would go well, to the Adeyemi stat, but here we are. <laughs> Hey, I th- I yeah, thought it was cool it when historic. it popped up there, and uh, yeah, I mean, and he scored. I I probably wouldn't have said it if he didn't score again, because then people out here would just be saying, "Oh, he's fast, but he can't get anything in the net." But he did it again. Um, but I mean, early on in this game, seen some cards. I even think before the early red card, which was like the the 16th minute, um, which definitely helped us. But w- we seem to be in control a lot, like from the start. And one thing I'm noticing noticed from the last game specifically, but carry through over into this game was the counter pressing. Um, and I'm just hopeful that like, this is the plan moving forward. That, like what we're seeing, I think the last two games is uh, like what we hope to see coming out of the blocks in 2023. I don't know. We've still won four in a row, but I think the first couple games were a little slower. We almost had the like, uh, it's kind of, is it kind of the same old dormant, but now it looks like we're actually making progress. Uh, Stefan, do you want to like speak to that? Any, like, do you think, this is a good signs moving forward. Are we in a little like, I don't know, good good luck streak right now? Yeah. To to answer your question, it is very positive to see that Borussia Dortmund are indeed pressing their opponents to shreds, and we have seen it against Bayer Leverkusen now, who do not defend in a low block necessarily, but still coughed up possession high up the field. And Dortmund pounced, uh, also in the form of Adiemi and uh, pounced Dortmund did via Brandt and Wolf on the right side against Leverkusen and against Freiburg. We saw a very similar lineup, I want to say. And uh, Freiburg, of course, um, have been shellacked so many times for Dortmund that Christian Streich, their coach, thought, no, 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 I'm not going to play a wide open, positive style of football. I'm just going to sit back and sit deep and wait for Dortmund to make mistakes and to beat them on set pieces. But uh, the counter-pressing was so important that Freiburg did not have any room to breathe. Dortmund just killed them, controlled the game, created chances. And uh, to that extent, I think my favorite stat of this game, minus Adeyemi, of course, <laughs> being the fastest man alive, is... Uh, <laughs> is that Dortmund had 14 corners and Freiburg had zilch. All of that dominating, which made it more frustrating that we conceded right before halftime. I mean, everything you just mentioned, to a T, pinning them in their own half, Adeyemi was an absolute headache for pretty much, in, I mean, the entirety of Freiburg, but especially down that left-hand side. Um, I mean, drew, it, Adeyemi drew five fouls in the first half. Sedelia uh, could not handle him whatsoever. And we just continued to just lay on more and more pressure and uh, had probably a handful of chances even in the first like nine minutes as well. So very positive start, but um, unfortunately conceding right before half, but I was getting ahead of myself. I will go back to the the lineup and Guerrero got the start this week. I will cop last week. I mean, I, I think I still have my, my opinions on Guerrero and I think 
Although he came back and had a great game this week. What I said a couple weeks ago as far as me being done with Guerrero, I think I still stand there. Great for him to come back and get like three assists this game. Like this is what we needed. I texted Carver during the game. It's like, or maybe it was right after, but I was like, he he did great. Cool. I can eat my words a little bit, but I still think moving forward, I'm ready to move on. But I'm glad we got this game out of him. Hopefully there's a few more the rest of the season while he's still a Dortmund player. Uh, but Guerrero left back, Schlotterbeck, and Sule started as our two center backs. Wolf, the right back position. I believe Rearson had like an illness this week, mm-hmm. right? So he was he was out. Koble in goal. Uh, we saw Chan in for Oshan, who was out with the yellow card suspensions. Bellingham was back. And then the uh, attacking mids, Brant, Royce, Adeyemi, and Allaire. I mean, that's kind of the lineup we get, I guess. If, if Rearson's out, Wolf right back. I thought he had a solid game too. Had a couple of really good crosses. Um, and we, we saw him play, was it, did he play, he played right back last week too, still lacking a bit of depth there, but is it weird to just be like hyped with Wolf being a, a right back? Cause that's where I am. Not at all. Absolutely not. I've, I've mentioned before that I think he's going to be, and he kind of already has forming himself to be the next Grosskreutz of just kind of filling where need be always going to give his hundred percent on the field and looking better and better in each game. I'm, I'm totally happy with him uh, being at right back at the moment. Yeah. All he has left to do is win a championship, throw a dinner, and open a pub. (laughs) (laughs) Then then he'll be, well, not quite, but uh, yeah, no, I I totally agree. Uh, Marius Wolf has been awesome, and uh, I like where this is going because I personally, I don't know which transfer window it was, but I was like, okay, Dortmund definitely need to offload him. He has no place in Dortmund. He is done, and of course, as per usual, I have been wrong and eating my words because right now he is a perfect role player, but also because he's accepted that he is the perfect role player and not, um, you know, wants to be the number one starter and is pushing for it. But when he's needed, he is Mr. Reliable, and that is very important. I'm going to come right back to you, Stefan, because I know you guys last week talked about Brandt and Royce. Like, if Royce is coming to the team... Uh, is Brand actually coming out? Like, how's that work going to work? And what we saw, if the the lineup thing I'm looking at, I know they rotate a lot. It depends on what what you're watching or where you're pulling the lineup from. It has them in, in different spots. But we saw Brandt and Royce together. Malin dropped out. Uh, how did you think that worked? Do you think that was the right call? Like, I, I think I said it a couple weeks ago, like, you got to drop Malin at this point, right? Like, just not doing enough. I feel like he's got to earn his way back into this team. But specifically on Brandt and Royce, how did you uh, feel that they worked together? Well, first of all, you could see that uh, Royce still doesn't fully have his legs under him, but you can also see how important he is for the team, and uh, you could see that he was really missing. And my God, Julian Brandt is just world class. I mean, on paper, as you said, he was playing right wing, but really he was pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. He was the link between midfield and attack. He, of course, did overload the right side with Marius Wolf when and if necessary, but of course... uh, you know, he is just everywhere right now and he is moving through the half spaces. He's gliding through the half spaces. You can say at times he's playing like a double A, double 10 position together with Royce. And um, we've seen it before. I mean, these two players chime really well because they are very similar and uh, very intelligent players. So they just know how to play off each other. And uh, Julian Brandt, um, I am just in love with this performance because it is not just a flash in a pen performance, but it's a world-class performance or at least high international level class on top of a long streak of really good performances 
And of course, the consistency is also so key because you know, we all know Julian Brandt in the past. He has had a couple of screw ups, weird passes to the opponent, you know, that left us completely n butt naked open <laughs> at the back. But not this time. Uh, <laughs> instead, he is firing in world class goals on, on top of it because that wicked swerve on that 4 to 1. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Mark Flecken was just flabbergasted. So, yeah, I absolutely loved uh, the Brandt performance. And I think. Um, these two, Royce and Brunt, are pretty much set, and I'm very glad that it uh, can work together because otherwise you would have to kick one out of the team, and it's hard to imagine kicking Royce off the team. And at the same time, Julian Brandt has been so far this season one of our best, if not the best and most consistent attacking players, hence both deserve a spot in this lineup. I'm happy to officially welcome you to the Brandt boys fan club <laughs> well it's first official. of all i'm the i'm the i'm the founder of the Julian Brand hive <laughs> okay good <laughs> so there, there's not too much to add about brandt um i mean other than he's arguably the best german player at the moment right now for reasons that stefan obviously just listed but as well as his work off the ball i mean we've mentioned already plenty of times this season he's really getting a lot more of a grit in his game he's putting himself into challenges he's actually working for terzik I mean, everyone's working for Terzic. The work rate has just been that much higher, at least for most aspects under Terzic so far. So that's very encouraging. Um, but at the attack overall, it's, it was it was fantastic for the most part. I mean, lots of traffic going forward. The combination of uh, Haller's link-up play and hold-up play with Adeyemi's pace and then the dynamism and creativity from Royce and Brandt. I mean, just Freiburg could not get a handle on them whatsoever. And you know, combining that with the speed of play in the second half, uh, they just made us pretty much untouchable. Carver, I want to go back to you saying Brandt is the best, did you say best German player in the country, in Europe, in the world, best German player at the moment? That seems like a bold statement. And I feel like Manuel Veth might disagree with you. Where's the lie though? I mean, even, even right. of course, Musiala can be a shout, but I think he's even struggling in recent weeks a bit as well. Oh, please, just because Wolfsburg players thinks he's still playing at the World Cup <laughs> doesn't mean he's the best German player. <laughs> They're like, all oh, right, he's just walking just through his head, fine, he won't score. <laughs> I don't watch enough soccer right now to know if he, if Brandt is the best German player right now, but at the same time, I also don't really care. <laughs> he's he's the best player for Dortmund right now. It's way more important. And Musiala can be the best German player for all I care, but uh, the best German player being Musiala then means also Bayern have dropped like six points. And Julian Brandt has not. No, it's fair. I'll take it. I just want to make sure I had Carver's bold statement officially on record. <laughs> I want to let it fly by. <laughs> um, I do want to talk about defense a little bit. Uh, Schlatterbeck scoring again. Obviously, that's not defensive. Uh, but great to see him getting goals. Does he have like three <laughs> goals so already in the season? Um, but then, also not like, a defensive stat, up, but yeah. <laughs> not a defensive stat, but we'll take it. Uh, no, I, I in the last episode, you're, you're talking about Chan dropping and kind of giving us a, a back three. Uh, and you talked about like we had it again, Chan being reliable again. We see this in, in streaks. I hope it stays. Is uh, is this the answer? Again, I, I'm looking for answers to maintain and hopefully ride this out the rest of the season. Because um, we, have, we have all winnable games coming up, I, I feel, especially even looking at Champions League. Um, so, like, th does Chan hold a spot? Do we move to a back three officially? 
Well, I wouldn't say just go with the flow because the plethora of options is big enough so that you do not have to go with Chen if you feel like you need other qualities. Um, obviously, he's a great ball winner, but if you feel like you need better distribution, you might want to go with Dahoud. Um, but I want to say that Chen actually right now is ahead of Ashan in the packing order because Ashan um, has lost his form a little bit and obviously um, he's going to get it back eventually. But in the meantime, Amojan is playing really well because he is con self-contained. Let's put it this way. He has managed to... I don't know what he did during the time off, whether he uh, picked up yoga or... I don't know. He, he just seems calmer and uh, that helps a lot. He does not make a lot of boneheaded mistakes, which uh, is usually my number one criticism is uh, that A, he gets too hot-headed and B, he is caught in spaces where he should not be vacating the defense. Right now he is uh, actually fitting in, but I want to say this. Um, the reason why Amrajan is looking good right now is because the team is collectively pressing. And that is a skill that Emre Can has and a system where he feels at home. And if you do not collectively press like Dortmund are doing right now, then Emre Can will make mistakes. But if you are the second wave of pressure in Emre Can, then you're doing a good job. If you have uh, just players not tracking back in front of you and basically have to clean up all by yourself, then if you Emre Can are in a lot of trouble. So right now... This version of Emre Can and in this version of Borussia Dortmund, I like and I think it can work quite well. Do I say he is an absolute must-starter? I would not go this far because it always depends on who your opponent is. Yeah, and as far as, I mean, starting lineup and everything, the, the nice thing we've seen so far in 2023 is like we're actually healthy. Like we, we have some depth now, which we have been lacking for so long. Um, and... It's not. It's like we we have the options to to rotate and shift things around. So, can we officially blame the inconsistencies on injuries? Knock on wood that nothing else happens. Uh, or or is like Terzic kind of figuring things out? It's it's a combination of a few things. I don't think it really comes down to just one thing at the end of the day. I mean, both of those things are absolutely factors, and you could probably still go down the list, but. Point is, looking forward, I mean, this is a team that have a collective, dare I say it, identity, and the players are obviously putting in the work for the manager. Um, going back to what you said about being healthy, too, I mean, I was very delighted to see Dahoud in this game. It's mind-boggling that he's been out since August now when I saw him in person, but I mean, Dahoud just doing Dahoud things. I mean, he has a delicious pass over the top. He has a shot that goes over the bar. I mean, it's it's a it's a classic Dahoud performance, so... Um, I'm, I'm pretty happy to have him back. And again, to keep adding to those options. If uh, Chan falls out of favor, you know, I have two other, I'm not going to say Dahoud is a six, but you have two other players that can play in that position need be. Well, if I might add this, I, I'm, I don't have a definitive answer to any question right now. I'm just wondering aloud, let's say, does it have to do with a bit of a winter preparation? Does it have to mm -hmm. do with a new assistant coach, because Armin Reutershahn, of course, is uh, the new guy next to Eden Tessic and Sebastian Gebhardt, and I assume he is very influential. Um, we will probably talk about set pieces, and especially attacking set pieces in a minute. But uh, apart from that, um, I think the combination out of not having a super congested schedule, because I think 
a lot of people easily forget that Dortmund also, to a big extent, not played well toward the end of uh, the first half of the season, if you will, or before the World Cup. It's just that they had to literally play every three days and were, you know, just, uh, yeah, just ridden with injuries. Uh, injuries. And so I'm, I want to say it's certainly a factor of many things. But uh, if you look at the Augsburg game and the Mainz game, Dortmund did not play as well with their pressing system as they did now. So I think these are things that usually take time and you need to gain a bit of momentum and flow, but uh, they're, you know, trending in the right direction. And so maybe it is because of the new assistant coach, maybe it is because of fewer injuries, maybe it is because of uh, fewer games and fresher legs. Um, I think all of this plays a role, but I think we can also not discount having Sebastian Alea back and what he does First of all, just from a stru structural standpoint to this team, but more importantly, I would say to an emotional standpoint, because uh, from a, more importantly, what he does on an emotional standpoint, because I think the emotional vibe in this team is so much better than it has been in years. So it's it's just an incredible story to have him back and you know just come in like this on World Cancer Day and score. So we got to talk about a celebration then, surely, because I've watched it, and I'm not exaggerating, probably a hundred times now, and either like watching Hilaire's reaction to him scoring or just the players around him, I, you can just like keep looking at different players each time and just be like, wow, that was either funny or obviously very emotional, and starting with, I love that Schlotterbeck, like immediately just started hyping him up, pointing to Sebastian Hilaire, and then immediately throwing his arms up to get the crowd louder, pointing at him and yelling with them. And you have Wolf jumping in the back doing the same thing. And <laughs> Adeyemi trying to jump on top of everyone. And it looked like Royce was kind of trolling him and pushed his legs over, which threw Adeyemi over. That's like the second time we've seen Adeyemi thrown around like a little brother in the last like two weeks, um, which was just hilarious. And then Royce cracking up about that. And you just see the unity in this in, within the squad. It, of course, it just lifted so much weight off of uh, Hilaire's shoulders. And, and everyone was just so happy to see him. Uh, pull off such a remarkable moment in his career uh, in such a short period of time again. So that was that was the moment of the weekend for sure. Yeah, it might be the moment of the season. Mm -hmm. I mean, just think about it. It's World Cancer Day. Dortmund do also because of Alea, you know, they make all kinds of moves to raise awareness to, you know, to make sure that people get cancer screenings. They had little signs posted around the stadium and of course the the more visible thing for us uh you know watching from abroad the, the bulge on the center circle which mm -hmm. was to represent a, tis, tis, a testicular tumor and uh, i think very very clever of course but also then for him to score and then point to his cleat where it says fuck cancer <laughs> just very powerful Just mm -hmm. very powerful. I certainly, I did choke up when when this goal and this whole moment happened, for sure. And man, was the stadium loud, just incredibly loud. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it was perfection all around. I, I, I didn't even know, like, it was World Cancer Day going into it. I wish I would have, because then I, like, the whole time, I would have just been, like, way more amped up to, in anticipation of him scoring. Uh, which I think we've been calling it since he came back. We're like, he's going to score, he's going to score, he's going to score. But for him to do it on his start, like his first start back uh, at home, 
uh, on World Cancer Day. Like it, it doesn't get any better than that. And then um, I think as far as like the emotional tie and just like having him come back and like you said, that lifting up the team, like it, it's one thing to have him back like just just purely out of like emotional reasons. And that's obviously going to get you hyped up and on a personal level. But the fact that he's back and he's playing super well, like takes it to a another step oh, um, of the the guys feeling like, oh, this is, we, we basically have a new player. Um, like we're already excited he's back, but they would have been excited if he was back in like playing 10 minutes, you know what I mean? And, and not even contributing that much. But the fact that he is contributing uh, and he has been each game in his his hold up play and uh, just how the the space he can take up and up in the opposing team's box like it's just it I don't know it's amazing it's amazing I think we said a lot but it, it's great and I think that is a big part of what's happening in this early part of 2023. Um, Stefan, earlier when you were talking before we got on Alaire, uh, you mentioned set pieces and I was like, wow, this is the perfect segue and transition, and then we talked about a lot of other stuff but fine it's it's okay we'll transition back to set pieces <laughs> in the first goal which also loops back to my defender remarks about nico slaughterback and us scoring on set pieces uh what is happening with dortmund scoring on set pieces i love it Wait. and maybe it's catching other teams by surprise because maybe maybe that's part <laughs> of it maybe they just stopped defending us on set pieces but no, it's just that Dortmund have a lot of players that are on paper really good to score in set pieces and all of a sudden they are starting to do so. And Nico Schlotterbeck did credit after the game Armin Rotterhassan, the new assistant coach especially. And I think uh, Edin Tessic at the pre-game news conference ahead of the Bochum Cup fight tomorrow um, also said that um, Rotterhassan is very inventive when it comes to uh, scheming up new set piece routines. And so... I think this is just the main change. This is a new coach, someone who actually knows how to do it. And obviously that is uh, <laughs> expertise that Dortmund have been sorely lacking before. There's no other way to put it. And uh, so, yeah, now you see the results. Um, they have worked on it quite a lot uh, during the uh, little off-season period now because they said it needs to be a main focus. The percentage of uh, Seppi's goals needs to go up. And uh, as you can clearly see now, Dortmund have scored. I don't know how many set pieces have they scored. I think it's six so far in 2023. They definitely scored three against Freiburg because uh, I would count uh, the first three goals all as set piece goals, even though um, the routines were all a little bit different. But nevertheless, um, you know, Schlotterbeck, I want to say, was maybe a little bit lucky, but then again, it was the curse of the X. And, um, you know, the other routine almost feels like open play because, for example, uh, Adiemi and Bellingham having this little one-two and the backheel pass is very nice and it's not like a classic set-piece routine. But if you have these kinds of players, you can do that. You can, you know, just uh, change the angle to this extent that uh, you then open up a little lane for Adiemi to just uh, squeeze through and then, uh, yeah, slot at home. And, of course... Um, the other set piece, I don't know, have to, I don't know if, if Freiburg cleared it first or not, but I certainly know that uh, Guerrero um, did have a very good um, very good cross into the box. And I, I think it's just that, um, you know, the second phase of the set piece, if you will, uh, I still count as a set piece goal if you score it like this, because basically all your defenders and everyone is still in the box when the ball gets re-delivered, if you will. 
And um, so I'm very excited because it's obviously a very powerful weapon. Look at Freiburg, how many Seppi scores they are of scoring. I mean, today they, uh, I think, defeated Sandhausen in the German Cup and they also relied of a, a goal from a corner kick and, uh, you know, Union Berlin, how many corner goals have they scored that have had them to, I don't know how many wins this season, certainly still ahead of Dortmund. So um, I just think from this standpoint that Dortmund are going to win a lot more games because it is a legitimate weapon, especially have, if you have like 60, 70% possession, you will have enough corner kicks to really uh, capitalize off of that. Yeah, you mentioned it a little bit already, but even on the ones that we didn't score, we still looked just very different from what I'm usually, I guess, used to. It looked very creative. It looked very inventive, as you mentioned. Uh, we didn't score on one of them, but it was on the left-hand side with Brandt and Guerrero, and they had a little one-two, and then Brandt just kind of slid the ball right to Guerrero for him to run along the touchline and get a cross in, which uh, in the end was a little, his cross was a little disappointing, but this isn't uh, the one to Hilaire. This is right before that. But yeah, even then, it we just actually looked dangerous, which is a really nice change of pace and we look a little bit more organized and um like you said already a very deadly weapon to have yeah and no, i i failed to mention this but sebastian alea you know he flicked it on against mines for Girena, and uh once again um his pass if you if you will uh to marco royce who then hit the crossbar is it also really dangerous and uh, <laughs> i'm wondering this if anthony modest is really seething right now because he of course uh, in theory, is also a set-piece monster, but uh, when he was getting most of his playing time this season, uh, Dortmund were themselves not having the wherewithal to really capitalize on that, so he must probably be fuming that uh, now Dortmund do have a good set-piece delivery and pretty much a, a much better setup, and he is on the sideline because I'm pretty sure he could score a couple of goals in this system as well. Part of the set piece too, just to add on, like it, it goes back to the counter pressing too. As you said, like in the second phase, or like if a ball's like recycled out, uh, the fact that the the team, because I think there's been a couple instances where uh, it comes from a set piece, we immediately win the ball back, and we're already in such a good advanced position that that's led to a couple goals too. Uh, because when instead of being like disorganized, trying to like a couple guys trying to get back, a couple guys doing another thing, like it seems like we're such a solid unit that like if if this happens everyone's ready to counter press and immediately win to be just as dangerous which it just like all ties together uh Haller doing getting in the right spaces and everything and, and the new tactics and everything uh just exciting and now i can watch dortmund set pieces and actually pay attention rather than like let me check twitter real quick because this nothing is <laughs> going to happen i mean just think about how wide open Haller was and uh sa freiburg are notoriously uh well drilled when it comes to the center backs and their man marking and the fact that they completely lost him and he basically had a tap in even though it was a header uh from this position is just absolutely ridiculous and especially freiburg who in this instance of the game are in utter defensive mode and nothing else like when you're on fifa and you put your team on ultra defensive this is what basically freiburg were pretty much all game to then create this wide open of opportunity for your number one striker your number nine is uh, utterly ridiculous. So, yeah, just well done. Just well-created goals. It was surprising how fast they fell apart and collapsed in the second half because, yeah, they obviously looked very defensive, but at the same time, whenever we would get in those areas, they just would not close us down whatsoever, and they didn't mark well either. So, I don't know if a strike was just very frustrated already at halftime and kind of 
I don't know, pissing the team off and, and getting people in the wrong headspace because he got himself sent off, of course. But um, I think mentality goes a long way, obviously, with, I mean, Dortmund especially. But I feel like they just kind of got away from Freiburg in this game. Well, I think the other factor is also that Dortmund are pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they have very good players. And when Dortmund are on a roll like this with the progressive passes, progressive carriers, if you will, just looking at Marius Wolf and then later, of course, Jamie Bino Gittens, etc. Um, I just don't think uh, there is anyone stopping them. And especially look at the combination play. We had, I think, five back heel passes in the game in and around the box. I mean, the Drew Bellingham assist to Adeyemi, but also uh, I think he had a nice back heel to send Adeyemi mm -hmm. uh, on Sedia where he then uh, picked up or forced a red card, so to speak. Um, there's just so much one-touch football, so much quick combination play, so many good, well... Uh, thought-out routines from this Dortmund side that uh, you can be a very well-organized side like Freiburg and I still think if you sit back for too long have to take too much pressure eventually you will just crumble. But the question is how is this team going to start performing once the schedule gets a little bit more congested as the next few weeks go on? Of course we have Pokal tomorrow, we have the Champions League next week against actually are we, are we away at Chelsea? I forget it for the first leg. Um, and then, of course, you have the Bundesliga back this weekend. So, three competitions in the next calendar week or so. I'm um, imagining we're going to see some rotation going into Bochum, given we have a pretty big fixture on the weekend against Bremen. Uh, Stefan, do you have any thoughts of how you're feeling for the Bochum game? Well, you know, it's a cup fight in Bochum, so I'm not feeling easy, to be honest. Um, the The real question is... You know, because we're so hyped right now, can Dortmund maintain this momentum? Because so often you think, wow, they've really turned a corner and then the next game comes around and they just really screw the pooch. I, I feel like um, when they lost uh, to San Pauli under Marco Rose, which is, of course, one of the marquee games of his tenure, if you will, um, in a very negative sense. Mm -hmm. I think beforehand Dortmund also were looking kind of good and had like a little winning streak going and you thought, oh, okay, we're doing really well here. So the honest answer is I don't know. I'm very hopeful that, uh, you know, all the factors we've already discussed mean that Dortmund will play well uh, and handle all these games pretty well. But <laughs> who is to say? This Dortmund team has so much in their bag, so many weird goals that they concede. I mean, we have, to Jake's detriment, not quite yet talked about the uh, goal that Dortmund conceded, but that also was quite hilarious. Yeah, that was that was pretty uh, embarrassing. Uh, you would think with the with the pairing of the, arguably the two best German center halves we have at the moment, uh, you would think one of them could commit a clearance, but really neither of them just weren't up to the challenge for conceding that goal against Freiburg, unfortunately. But um, I mean, Freiburg, the game overall was a big test, and, and Dortmund passed it with flying colors. So I'm I'm feeling a little bit more confident. But of course, I mean, this is an entirely different game. We're not at home. I mean, Bochum, they just thrashed Hoffenheim 5-2. to two, So they're on the bounce back up in recent form. So I, I know this could really feel like go either way. I'm hoping Terzic is preparing well uh, so far, at least this calendar year. He, there's been some things that he looks like he has addressed him and the assistant manager. Bochum have scored and conceded 17 goals uh, at home this season. So I think there's going to be a lot of goals in this one. So, I'm feeling overall pretty decent. I'm, I'm just curious to see what the lineup's going to be because, again, with the rotation, I'm imagining we're going to probably try to rest Hilaire a bit more and continue to ease him in. 
Uh, Brandt has started every single game this calendar year so far, so he's had a lot of minutes. So I think there's a few different ways you could go about looking at this team. Yeah. I mean, Ashan will be back, definitely. Adeyemi will not be in the side. Yeah, he's suspended, uh, yeah. Yeah, Ruerson will definitely uh, be available again because Tessic did say that. So I do wonder if that means Guerrero goes back um, to the bench. I mean, Guerrero played lights out against Freiburg, but um, do you trust him to replicate this in, in such a dogfight? Or do you want uh, Ruerson, who of course uh, is a much different player than Guerrero? I'm wondering a lot about how this game may or may not go. Um And what the lineup will be, because uh, you might also want to rest a center back or uh, you want to rest maybe Bellingham or so. But how much uh, of that can you do? And at the same time, I, I'll be honest, you know, you think about resting X many players, but I just want to keep this team together on the field and mm -hmm. uh, build more chemistry as they go along. And uh, it is not... So that they are super tired yet because they did not really have this many uh, midweek games yet. So um, I think they should be fine from a fitness standpoint, uh, maybe um, in a few weeks. But the good thing is the schedule just won't be this congested anymore as it was in the, you know, last year. So I'm, I'm fairly happy with how it's going and I don't think too much rotation is in order. But um, of course, the big question is who does, you know, who can replace Adeyemi and um, I think my number one option would be Jamie Bino Gittens right now because of how well he is playing when he comes off the bench and the difference he can make as a 1v1 uh, attacker. Um, but obviously, you know, he could also be very valuable coming off the bench. So, Carver, who would you pick to replace Adeyemi? Would you just do like for like with Malen? Would you change the system? There are so many options now that mm -hmm. if you ask a question like this, You really have to sit and think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I personally wouldn't start Malin. I, I know this is, of course, um, maybe a competition that he could shine a little bit more, but I just don't have the confidence to start him at the moment. Um, Jamie Bynal Gittens, of course, is it'd be between him and Reyna for me uh, for that uh, Adeyemi replacement. I mean, Reyna has scored three goals off the bench now in a row, and he's clearly on fire. Um, I think he can obviously help a lot with our link-up play as well if you know we're looking to give Brandt a rest. I wouldn't poke too much at starting 11. I was just thinking about two or three players, maybe like Hilaire and Brandt that might need a breather. Gio would be a good shout or, or JBG, absolutely. Well, I don't think you can go really wrong either way. Yeah. So that's the good news. Let me ask you a question about Guerrero. So he had obviously hat trick of assists last game. Do you think him being out of contract, not really knowing what his future, at least, you know, this is just me speculating, me, maybe him not knowing much about his future. Do you think that's a, maybe a motivational factor to try to get an extension so he's going to continue putting in these performances for the rest of the season? Or is this maybe just a one-off? I think, honestly, I think it has more to do with Rioson than with uh, Guerrero being on the contract. Yeah, I think he feels pressure now in multiple ways. And I think this is the only thing that makes him play better, to be honest, because I sort of agree with Jake. Um, you know, there are just too many performances that uh, allow you to say, I am very much over Rafael Guerrero in a Dortmund shirt. And it is, it is painful to say because performances like the one against Freiburg just remind you that there's a world-class player in there and if only mm -hmm. he could show up every game and, you know, care a little bit more on defense, you know. I, you know, ideally, he would have had a similar development as Julian Brandt who you know 
we have successfully beaten all the Leverkusen out of him and he's now actually, you know, a, a more well-rounded player also just defensively and Rafael Guerrero just after so many years is not and I do not know, um, you know, what it takes for him to be out of this comfort zone permanently and play well permanently because he's such a streaky player. So, um, yeah, I personally love watching Rafael Guerrero on a good day, but I absolutely hate it on a bad day. So, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit still on the fence on this, but at the same time, I do think the club has sort of moved on and, uh, you know, you see Rios on start when he's available. And with that, uh, I think that that says a lot about where Dortmund think they're going next. And, uh, yeah, Rafael Guerrero probably still has a important role to play this season just because of the skills that he has but i'm not entirely sure how much and to what extent he will feature and uh, so to answer your question i hope we get a positive <laughs> <laughs> turnaround from rafael Guerrero, but i would not bet on it yeah you can't and you can't really expect him to improve much on the defensive side of his game under a manager like terzik that it, that isn't just that you know well-rounded in the knowledge of that aspect of the game um, I mean, you could maybe make an argument under Favre. He had a few performances like when we had a clean sheet when Barcelona came and he was marking Messi the entire game. And somehow we walked out of that one with a clean sheet. Um, and, and there was a few other performances here and there, of course. But yeah, under under a manager that's a little bit more attacking minded, you know, more on the counter. I don't think Guerrero was just and especially this stage of his career. Well, as well, he's almost 30. I don't think he's just going to be focusing too much on that part of a game rather than trying to flourishing on the side that uh, he actually flourishes in. So do you have any predictions for Bochum? Uh, I went on the yellow iPod. I said four to one. So I have to stick with that now. Four to one Bochum. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said four to one Dortmund. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I f- I, you feel like yeah, we might probably concede one that's, uh, out of nowhere, of course, they have uh, Hoffman, who's scored five goals this year, six foot five, so he's going to be a pretty good target man. And we have the size to match that, of course. You have a handful of our center halves, our, our big guys, um, so you think we could probably try to uh, close him down, but our individual defending is still uh, a lot to be seen, I guess, or a lot to improve on. So I think we're probably going to concede one as well, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little bit uh, a little more cautious and say 2 1. Dortmund. Well, the reason why I say 4-1 is just because uh, there's vintage Dortmund performance where they beat Bochum in Bochum 4-1. And basically, I I was reminiscing. But uh, in all honesty, Bochum are a very dangerous team. They have very fast players uh, with Anvi Ajay, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. And of course, I always rate Lugia in in midfield. I think he's a very clever player and uh, sort of playing above his own level right now, above uh, the the level he should be at, but somehow he has grown uh, with playing in the in the Bundesliga, and so um, you know, and you you also just know that Riemann is um, a perfect uh, uh, sort of goalkeeper having his best performance against Dortmund type of guy. Yeah, so yeah. that's uh, usually very annoying, but more importantly, um, there can be a dynamic of the game due to it being a cup tie and due to it being going to be an absolute cauldron in the. And the Castropa is how we call the stadium. Uh, I don't even know what it's, uh, Riviera Stadion, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. But um, yeah, yeah, more. It's it's just it's just going to be a crazy game. I I already know 
there is unforeseen shit gonna be happening and we're all gonna question ourselves how Dortmund could even allow whatever they're gonna allow and uh, Bochum will thrive of errors and uh, find weird ways to score either off set pieces or counterattacks and uh, yeah something will be afoot I'm sure because there's no way this game ends in like a boring 3-0 routine win for Dortmund like yeah. they would uh, do to other cup teams, let's say. Like the Hanover game was already pretty crazy and uh, Hanover is pretty bland. And uh, yeah, Dortmund <laughs> walked away with a 2-0 win, but honestly, Hanover could have scored four or five. Oh, also yeah. That scoreline was flattering. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I remember how nervous that entire game was and I have no idea why it was so nervy, but yeah. Um, of course, then we would advance in the cup, another competition right after, after that for the Bundesliga. And then you have Champions League next week. The Bochum game tomorrow was at 1.45 Central Time. Uh, we're away, of course, at the Ruhrstadion. And uh, Jake, do you have any predictions before we get out of here? Hey, I'm just going to say, all I'm going to say is the Stefan Carver Show 2.0 was meant to be. It's destiny. All right. So thank you as always for hanging with us. Uh, Stefan, please, is there anything you'd like to plug or talk about before you get out of here? We greatly appreciate you coming on the show and, and having me on the show and not Jake, which is perfect uh, according to plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, since he can't hear us right now, screw Jake. <laughs> and he has no idea what's going on. He's just looking into the camera. <laughs> uh, but no, honestly, um, it's it's a pleasure to be on, even though your setup is uh, lacking the professionalism right now because you're using hotel Wi-Fi. Um, there's a very famous Sixers podcast called The Rights to Ricky Sanchez, and uh, they uh, did a, uh, a tour recently, basically, where they went with the whole fan group to Austin to watch the Spurs game in San Antonio. Yes, that's what they did. And uh, their podcast host, uh, instead of using hotel Wi-Fi, uh, found someone uh, someone's house where he could do it so he would not depend on hotel Wi-Fi. So I'm just putting it out there that there are uh, people who care about their podcast a little bit more than Jake, seemingly, because he is just sitting there on atrocious internet, all pixelated, and it's, it's very sad. So... Um, yeah, I apologize to the BVB pod audience that uh, they have been put through this uh, terrible torment. And uh, yeah, cover. Um, I'm I'm glad that you at least were there uh, in in HD and uh, nice sound quality to pull through for us. Oof, Jake, have fun listening to that one tomorrow. That's gonna be. <laughs> oh man, also, the, also that's gonna be some edit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, of course, a, a huge genuine thank you for coming on the show. Of course, we will link everything to the Yellow Wall Pod and Stefan's work down in the description of this episode. Thank you, for, as always, for hanging out with us, and we will see you next week. <laughs>